Stephanie. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. And we are talking about Kevin Spacey. No. Um. <laughs> We're doing another, I think, fairly... This is probably the most obscure movie we've done in the last few months. That's probably true. I feel like this is not a movie that people... like. I, I don't think that I would really know about this movie if you hadn't had your period of being really into it and we watched it for this and all that. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it's a movie that people particularly remember. No, no. I mean, it's a very... <laughs> it is directed by someone who has never directed another movie as a stage director. It is written by someone who wrote this movie he, he, and the short. He, he is a stage director? I wondered about that, because I also noticed uh-huh. he didn't have any other directorial credits. Yeah. Um, the writer basically just wrote this in the short that I assume it was approved based on. Um it's basically three actors um, and functionally no one else uh, for 90 minutes having conversation, uh, which could be boring. And unfortunately, one of the actors is Kevin Spacey. But it's not boring. It's still really fucking good. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <it's, clears throat> I think it's trying very hard to be like in the same space as Glengarry Glenn Ross. Um, yeah, I guess, but I like it better than Glengarry Glen and Ross. I only ever saw that one once, and it's been a very long time, so I, I don't remember. I couldn't say which one I prefer, but you know, it's 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 about it's all men doing business things as like a, a yeah. pretext for having his life conversations. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything as uh, as flashy as you know Alec Baldwin's. Speech in uh, in Glengarry. No, <laughs> but uh, I think it's uh, I think it's probably fair to say that um, they were aiming for a similar a similar niche. Yeah, that's most likely true. Um, so the the three actors in the movie um, are, as mentioned, Kevin Spacey, uh, Danny DeVito, and uh, Peter Facinelli, who might be best known at this point for playing. Uh, Mr. Cullen in probably <laughs> I I don't really I didn't really recognize him much. I uh, like he's one of those guys who you know he looks vaguely familiar, but yeah, and to be clear, he has I mean he's been around. Um, he has looks like eighty one credits. Uh, he does show up periodically in various things, but honestly, like I don't think that I have seen him. Apparently, he played Keith Raniere in a Nixium cult TV movie. <laughs> Huh. Um, <laughs> thing I'm learning right now, uh, but no, my my primary association with him is is most definitely Twilight, which was honestly a weirdly big casting for him. He hasn't really done anything else that I don't know big in terms of a money movie. Um, but yeah, and uh, Danny DeVito and Kevin Spacey are these like seasoned sales execs. Uh, or marketing people, they work in... Uh, right, industrial lubricants, yeah. Industrial lubricants. And um, Peter Facinelli works in the research department of the business and has been sent along on this business trip. They're, they're at a conference, um, and they're supposed to, as we find out as they're sort of talking, there's a... There's a a president of a company that they're trying to like convince him to sign his account with them. 
but they don't know what he looks like. They just know he's supposed to be at the conference and is supposedly stopping by. Um, is sort of the the outline of the the setup, but most of it is just is the three of them talking. Kevin Spacey is very abrasive. I mean, he's and, doing exactly the thing that Kevin Spacey uh, got you know made his name on. Yes. It's it's a very like classic Kevin Spacey asshole kind of performance. Um, and you know mm-hmm. he is he's very good at it. There. Yeah. There's a reason that he did it so often. He's very good at it. Um, and Danny DeVito is playing this sort of Well, yeah, he's, sad he's the aging salesman who's starting to <laughs> starting to wonder like sad and wide. <laughs> is this really like really this is the this is the wagon I've hitched myself to? Yeah, yeah. And Peter Facinelli is uh the wide eyed newbie uh who is among right. other things a Christian. <laughs> Yeah. And recently married. Um, so you say you saw this movie initially because of me. I think so, yeah. I mean, I remember that you you got really into this movie and a few others, and, like, I kind of – I feel like the two of us together kind of went through a Kevin Spacey phase in, in the, including this yes. movie. We talked about this a little bit when we when we covered the ref on this on this show last, uh, last year, but – Last Christmas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we definitely went through a period of like specifically watching things because of Kevin Spacey. Yeah, I had a crush on Kevin Spacey. Um, alas, uh, and um, so I definitely would have watched this movie because he was in it. That's for sure mm-hmm. why I saw it. Um, but this movie had a really really profound impact on me and the way that I understood my faith and talking. It wasn't even that it necessarily changed the way that I approached or talked about things, but it gave me words for something that had like always felt wrong to me. And it was, it was really, it was really quite a, quite a major thing when I saw it. Because I mean, you know, at the core, it is functionally presenting faith or presenting Jesus and that sort of thing as just as much sales well, as what they're evangelicalism, doing at least. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we've talked about this some before about the one of the problems with uh, with evangelicalism and the like the the drive to convert other people as like the whole point mm-hmm. of of human relationships and the, mm-hmm. the sort of inherent uh, artificiality of that. That's a thing we've talked about a few times on this show, and that is a big part of what this movie ends up being about. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, there were definitely some, there's also just some very funny lines from it. Unfortunately, most of them are spoken by Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I noticed Kevin Spacey <laughs> was also a producer on this movie, so I, I feel like maybe this was one of those things where, like, he saw the play and knew it would be a good role for him, and so he kind of got yeah. the movie made. I don't actually know if that's the case, but... It seems plausible enough. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't feel surprising. Yeah. yeah. So you know, uh, Bob is Peter Facinelli. Um, Phil is Danny DeVito, and Larry is Kevin Spacey. Um, just very, very basic man names. Too bad that, uh, <laughs> that, that Bob wasn't Danny DeVito, because the, then it like 
It would be like Bob and Larry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're even kind of our cutting edge Veggie Tales references. Mm. (laughs) Anyway. So, um, you know, Bob is sort of like clearly young, I would guess. I, I think that he said he had just started at the company. He was just out of school. I'm guessing he's like mid-20s. Yeah, he said he had been at the company for um, six months and that he got hired straight out of out of school. So, yeah. Right. Um, which is also how long he's been married, incidentally. So I guess they just got married when he um, – and uh, – He's clearly a little overwhelmed by these two, particularly Larry, um, who is, you know, comes bursting in and starts shouting about the size of the room and the <laughs> arcade with Danny DeVito about why is there a coat rack in here? What are these hors d'oeuvres? They're terrible. What is, you know, all this stuff. Um, and Bob is clearly a little taken aback by all this. I will say that, like, part of the reason that Kevin Spacey is so good in this role, unfortunately, um, is that it's not just that he was good at playing an asshole, although he certainly excelled in that role, um, but it's also that he's good at, like, playing an asshole who has these breaks of, like, genuine, like, what feel like genuine, like, tenderness or, like, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that he, like, you know, he has these moments where it feels like the character is deeper than this thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, like, you know, he's, he comes in talking about the woman he sat next to on the plane and how beautiful she was. She was in a business suit. <laughs> right. This whole thing um, about women in business suits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he asks Bob, like, what's your type? What gets you going? And Bob's like, well, I'm sure I couldn't say. Right. Well, he's, he's like, <laughs> one of the things that he's, he is, he's crass in the yeah. exact way that evangelical Christians are just incapable of interacting with. <laughs> and, yes. and then, so Bob is so awkward. He's just like, I don't, I don't want to respond to anything this guy's saying. Like it really, which yeah. of course just like encourages him to keep going. Right. Like it's clearly, you know, it's a, it's a good time to, he's fun to needle. Like that's what it comes down to. Um, one of my favorite lines when I was, young and saw this movie initially was uh, when he finds out that Danny DeVito quit drinking um, and he's like, holy shit, I don't smoke, you don't drink, and Bob here wouldn't even think about lusting after a woman. Between the three of us, we're practically Jesus. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's a good line. Um, And, you know, they keep, you know, like Bob finds out that pretty early on that Dan that Phil Cooper Phil Danny is divorced, and is it's such like a baby evangelical obnoxious thing. Like I just want to smack him. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like, well, I just you know he's talking to Larry about it later. I just can't imagine getting divorced. Yeah. Or one of them says like the picture becomes clear. <laughs> very quickly um like oh i can't imagine giving all that up i can't imagine like he's just so like wide-eyed and mm-hmm. you know confident in his shit uh and larry has what i think is probably one of my favorite lines now where he asks him if he's in love with his wife and he's like what do you like of course obviously and he's like well it's just that i've known people who you know, people who are principled like you are and they meet someone else who's really principled and they get married 
And then a few years down the line, they realized that it was their principals that got married and they were just kind of along for the ride. Right. And I was like, God damn, if that isn't well, a description yeah, of says, almost every very young Christian marriage that I know. Yeah. He says, he <laughs> says love has a lot of counterfeit, which is, yeah, yeah. like it's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, of good, there's, there's a lot of good observations like that in this movie. And then there's also a lot of like, like DeVito's character has this whole thing about, about the, uh, about how wives function as mirrors for husbands. Yeah. Uh, th- as there's a lot of that kind of stuff too. That's like, I feel like this was, uh, it was kind of like what passed for, uh, or what passes for like, what would you call it? I guess like a type of vulnerability yeah. Yeah, between men specifically. But, but like without breaking out of right. the like toxic masculinity thing. <laughs> Uh, I'm not quite sure if the I would necessarily say the movie was like taking that position, uh, or if that was just supposed to be. You know, he was he was clearly like, he was a guy who right. had, had clearly had like a very unhappy marriage and uh, was also not particularly happy with himself. And but the it's directions not that delivered life, in so, the same kind of like you know, that, wise that was, way, that like wise sounding way that I feel like a lot of the rest of it is delivered. That stuff definitely stood out to me more mm-hmm. this time than it would have when I watched it then. Well. You know what it sounds like is it sounds like an awful lot about yeah. things you hear about marriage from in evangelical churches about like, you know, the, the one of the, the blessings of marriage is that it allow you know, through their wives, men can see themselves in this new way. And, you know, it's horrifying. <laughs> they, they need they need their wives to function. Yes, we're like their they moral. How terrible they are. Whatever. Uh, um. Yeah, it's it's bleak. I mean, it's very bleak. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, they have sort of these conversations back and forth. Bob is clearly just very, I mean, is being very judgmental in a very quiet way, like that he won't outright say, but you can see it all over him. Uh, <laughs> does not enjoy Larry needling him about, like, you know, you should apply for sainthood. Um, and when he finds out he's Baptist, he's like, oh, no, well, they don't do mm-hmm. that. You should go somewhere else, Bob. Someone that appreciates you. Yes. <laughs> Competition's not as stiff as it used to be, I'll bet you. <laughs> it's very yeah. clever. It's very it's, funny. It's all very clever. Um, yeah. yeah it's- well, it, also, it also serves because he, he, talks, he talks a little bit about... I can't remember what the exchange was. Oh, it was yes. it was when they were talking about the the porn magazines uh, about because because Danny DeVito's character is hanging out in the hotel room reading a like penthouse. you do, <laughs> and and then of course Spacey's character Spacey's character spots that and starts needling him about it. Of course, and uh, at any rate, he he asks him if like are you the are you the type of person who believes that magazines like this shouldn't be printed. And he comes back with, "No, I'm the type of person who believes they shouldn't be purchased." And he he that was a you know, was like that's that was, that was that was like a you know a good a really good answer. It was right you know. And he said, "I just said what I thought." And he's like, "Yeah, I know. That's why you're good at this because like that's exactly the, the, yeah. just the way you think is that kind of cleverness." Uh, and and that's that's like yep. Kevin Spacey's character. That's his whole personality. <laughs> this is just the way he thinks is that kind yeah, of like no, exactly. sharp one liner. Um, 
yeah. but they you know they have this they have this hospitality suite that is kind of sad they're in wichita kansas they're <laughs> like it's like a whole thing mm-hmm. and you know the the night comes we see kind of you know uh bob doing a terrible job tending bar which makes sense because he doesn't even drink um Mm -hmm. and you know kind of people talking a lot of i mean conferences truly are just soul-sucking regardless of what they're for in my opinion um not everyone seems to feel this way i mean i work in human services so our conferences are obviously a little different than professional lubricants but our industrial lubricants but i mean i i was thinking about this throughout the movie because they keep talking about like they talk about each other and they talk about like this other sales guy they'd known Murdoch as like having a gift and like, this is your calling. And I kept thinking about like, imagine having a gift for like that level of wit and the ability to like convince people of things. And you spend that in Kansas convincing people to buy industrial (laughs) lubricants. That sounds like the most depressing thing I can possibly imagine. Uh, but I don't know that the movie necessarily sees it as bleak. I, I, I think the movie kind of takes the, like, the, the, you know, right. there, there's a, Honest there's a dignity in, in of, yeah, doing the thing, doing that, I think the thing that you're good at. Yeah. Um, but. God, that sounds so awful to me. I can't, I just, no, can't, I mean, it's, I it's the imagine. exact kind of interactions that I, mean, I find to just be in, like impossible to do on the long term. Like, I'm a very social person. I'm very, I love talking to people, um, but I hate talking to people with, like, I hate selling things to people, um, which was always a problem for me growing up mm-hmm. in Christianity. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you have right. – this is, again, they talk about, like, there aren't any people here where uh, – what was the word he used? Uh, yeah. We're all just filling roles, like, we're functions. We're functions. Uh, no, I'm terrible and I, at that. I, can't I always have well been. That. Um, and there's an expectation of, like, a certain <laughs> level um, of shallowness of conversation, like, because, like, yeah, everybody is sort of, you know – and like I said, I, I don't think uh, human services conferences or social work conferences or whatever are quite as bad. But regardless, it's still like a thing where it's like, you know, you're all sitting in these rooms full of like lit by fluorescent lights and eating like subpar food and, you know, just sitting there for the day listening to people speak. And it's just like it's it's exhausting. Um, I don't tend to get a lot out of them, although, like I said, I know that's not true mm-hmm. for everyone. But it's just like not my prior. It's not my best way to engage. <laughs> so I did relate to Bob when mm-hmm. he was talking about yeah. like, you know, wanting to have like a conversation between, you know, two people and not this sort of. I mean, it's not a charade, but like it's like a, like this expectation of engagement. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a genuine interaction, but it's like a right. It's a very, it's such a specific. Right. You you it can only be about one and thing. So like, when the night ends yeah. and him and him and uh, Larry have another, or not Larry, him and 
the other one who is not Larry, Danny DeVito, him and Danny DeVito have um, another conversation, Phil, Mm -hmm. about different things. And and then, you know, Larry comes in all furious because they didn't they didn't find the guy like and it seems clear that it's very important. Perhaps the company's in trouble. I don't know. Whatever it is, they really. Well, he's convinced at least that they're going to be fired for not. Whether I'm not clear on whether the company as a whole is like we need this or if it's, right, like they had the opportunity. They didn't to do their job, so he's guy. worried. Oh, <laughs> and then he's been looking for him everywhere, but none of them, neither of them knew what he looked like. <laughs> um, and you know, Larry yells at Phil because Phil, you know, called him as he was supposed to, but I guess only talked to his secretary. Um, and so you know. Like the guy didn't come through, but at some point they mentioned the guy's name, which I don't remember what it was. Um, Dick, I think. Yeah. And Dick something. Yeah. Um, like, and Bob had been talking about some guy that he'd had a conversation about all of his dogs with the German shepherds this man had had throughout his life. Um, and when he, they say his name, he's like, what? You know, is it Dick mm-hmm. Walker or, you know, whatever. Um, and they're like, yeah, that's him. Well, that's who I was talking to. Um, and so initially, like, you know, Larry's furious, although they hadn't actually told Bob what they were looking for. So, <laughs> well, right. He really didn't. Uh, he had no way of knowing, really. But, you know, so Larry's trying to get from him, like, what did you talk about? What did you? He's like, we just talked about life and. <laughs> Whatever. Um, the dogs just kind of led into other things and whatever. And finally, he says that he had, you know, he got a card from the guy. It was like he was going to this super exclusive party afterwards. Um, and initially, Larry's like, well, we have to go. We have to go crash that party. And, you know, Bob's like, no, like, I think that would make him upset. And so Phil's like, look, the only thing to do is we have to, we have to send Bob. Because, you know, this guy gave it to him as an invite. He can go. He can do the thing. Um, and Larry's not thrilled about this, but <laughs> okay. And so Phil hands him the card and says, look, you're going to go. You're going to give him these cards and you're going to tell him that, you know, he that he needs to get, you know, we'd like to get in touch with him. We don't, it won't take much of his time. We'll just talk to him for a couple of minutes. We'll be at the hotel. He can get a hold of us at these numbers, like, you know, whatever. Um, and Larry's like, yes, if you, if you say that, like, if you use that, say what Phil just said, then you're going to be fine. Um, and so they send him off to, to talk to the guy. Um, and in the meantime, Phil and Larry sit and have a conversation in which Phil, who is clearly experiencing a lot of depression at one point, we see each of them have like, have like a little like fantasy in the movie. Um, and like, Larry's fantasies of like wearing a giant native headdress of some kind and like being kind of the center of attention and everyone is cheering him on, I think is the core part of the fantasy. Yeah. I think that, yeah, of being the, it's, it's not just that he's right. wearing it. It's that like the group uh, like anoints him with and this. Bob like, fantasizes about being really cool and, and a good bartender, yeah. which I do actually think is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's doing like the the Tom Cruise uh, yeah. in uh, that one. Yeah, what's it called? That movie where Tom Cruise yeah. is a bartender. Um, 
And like, day, you know, daydreams yeah. about like being cool functionally, which makes sense. He probably hasn't been cool a lot in his life. Um, Phil daydreams about mm-hmm. having a cigar and a cocktail and jumping off the building. <laughs> so, right, you know, swan dive off the balcony. No, yeah. in a space. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, what, Phil is like one of the things we learned from from Larry is that Phil's divorce yeah. is like recent, possibly still ongoing. So he's like, having a hard time. He's obviously he's like rethinking a lot of things in his he's life. He's having a tough and, time. You know, whatever. And so he kind of has this conversation while they're eating. Like, is like, you know, do you love me? Yes, Larry. And Larry's like. Not sure what that means, Phil. Like, what what do you mean? Uh, Well, he tries to put it off first. He's like, you know, you're sharp dresser. You know, don't eat, talk with your mouth full. Like, what's not to love, sort of thing. And then he kind of Phil's clearly like sad and like having a tough time. And he tells him that when he was a kid, he learned a Bible verse that was like, you know, that Jesus once said that greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friend. Um, and Larry's like, are you asking if I would die for you? <laughs> what possible situation right. could come up where I would be called upon to die for you? Um, but you know, I mean, like he's, Phil's clearly like trying to connect and Larry is like trying to meet him, but is definitely having like a little bit of a hard time with the, the earnestness, I guess, of the conversation. Um, and then, and then Bob comes back and Bob comes back and they're like, what happened? And it quickly becomes apparent that he did not say any of the things that he was told to say. And instead he sat with this man and he had a conversation about Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. And Larry is like, how did that even come up? <laughs> and right. He's just like, it just, it just naturally, it just naturally came up. Um, and, <laughs> and Larry looks at him and says, I want, I'm going to say something to you and I want you to listen to me very carefully because I only say this when I really mean it. And it is the equivalent to me of telling someone to go to hell. And he's like, okay. Um, and, uh, he says, I don't believe you. Uh, and of course, Bob is outraged. Like, <laughs> But functionally, his point, um, his point was like, you know, he says, who brought up Jesus? Who specifically brought up Jesus? And it's like, well, well, I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he says, look, like, you know, as soon as you put your hands onto the conversation, it was not, it, it was not natural. This did not just come up. You brought it up. You were looking for a way, you know, you were looking for a, a way to bring this into the conversation. Um, and that's not your job. Like you're here, you're here to be the hands of the company for this weekend. The company pays for us to come here and we are their hands for this period of time where we shake other people's hands, but you decided that wasn't good enough. You went off and, you know, did your own thing. 
Well, right, and he eventually straight up yeah. says, like, I brought it up because I believe it's more important. Uh, which... <laughs> I, I have, like, I have very mixed feelings about all of this because, like, you know, I don't believe that talking about Jesus is more important. But I also don't believe that talking about industrial lubricants is important. And I don't know that he would necessarily be doing something wrong by uh, having a conversation about something yeah, more I significant mean, I than that. Yeah, I think that where I fall down this is but, not necessarily uh, that talking about industrial lubricants is that important or like some deep uh, devotion to the company or whatever. Obviously, that's not really um, how I feel per se. But like, I think that to me, the critical thing about this is not necessarily which is more important or whatever, but it's that it's that it's hypocritical. Like he. He is saying, uh, he right. says, Bob says at some point, I was not going to give him these cards. I was not going to have this conversation. I was not, you know, whatever, because it would make it seem as if I was only having this conversation with a with an ulterior motive. But it's like you were only having this conversation with an ulterior mm -hmm. motive. It just wasn't the ulterior motive you were supposed to be having. Right. It's just the, it's just the reverse of yeah. It's the reverse of what you. And I think that was the like, part yeah. to me when I was young. That was really like that was the thing. Was that like yes? This is hypocritical. This is this is a shitty way to. We cannot actually care about someone if the reason we are finding out about them, if the reason that we are, you know, pursuing relationships with them is just to sell them Jesus. Like that, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that for me was like the really big thing when I was young. And then of course, like I didn't have like a good answer to it because like you, you were supposed to tell them about Jesus. You were supposed to, <laughs> but like that was the thing where I was just like, mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer to this is exactly, but I feel like this is the like insincerity and hypocrisy that I have, you know, that I've constantly been taught to do this. That makes me like, that makes me feel like I can't have these conversations. I can't talk to people about Jesus meaningfully for all kinds of reasons, but because I feel like I'm selling them something that they're not interested in, that they're not looking for, but I'm required to sell it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And if I don't, then I'm partly responsible for them going to hell. Well, and in fact, you're you're being unloving. If, right. You're being unloving if you don't yes. push conversations towards this thing. Every yep. conversation that you can. as often Which is as you why can. some of the evangelicals who, like, quote, unquote, best fit the role they're supposed to fit are salesmen. Like, that's, you know, because to me, that sounds like a nightmare. I don't mm -hmm. want to be pushing any conversation to everyone I can, no matter what, whenever I can, like that sounds awful, but like, that's the job. And I was never very good at it. Uh <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Any other, any other thoughts about this movie? He's really fucking good. I, mean, I don't think I, had, I saw him like I, like my only concept of him uh, was basically as a he's, you know comic actor before this movie. This was the first time I saw where I was like, holy shit! Like he's right. 
I, I still don't think I have seen nearly enough Danny DeVito. I mean, my primary association with him these days, of course, is from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and I did have the thought that I could almost see his character in this having evolved into Frank from It's Always Sunny. Because I don't, I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but his character in that is like, mm. he was like a big, like successful business guy who decided that he didn't want to do it anymore. And he wanted to have like a, you know, a wilder <laughs> life, basically. Um, well, I mean, he, it's not quite the same. He was like a, a big CEO in, in It's Always Sunny, but uh, I did have the thought, like I could almost see this guy <laughs> having a, a nervous breakdown and becoming Frank. But uh, but he's so good. He yeah. has, we didn't talk about the scene where he talked about that dream that he'd had as a kid of finding mm-hmm. finding God in a closet in a burnt out city. It was, you know, he gets this whole monologue about, this dream that he'd had and he was it's just great i mean we you know spacey is like he's very like fun and energetic and funny and he, and more than that too he he has some very like sort of vulnerable moments and he's he's an interesting character but i think devito is really i agree the, and i i feel like the star of the show i, I mean i feel like he wise. hasn't as much of a chance to to do that at least in ways in t- points that i've seen um so it was cool f- to see that from him, I will say, and I didn't mention it, that like the very last scene of the movie, we have uh, Danny DeVito alone in the hospitality suite um, after sort of like gently chastising uh, Bob because Bob and Larry got into a full-on physical Bob. fight, uh, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. he's sitting there. The phone rings, and it's Larry, and Larry has called to to say that he loves him. Um, which, which I think is really like, because, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I would have too, because shit, what if he jumps off the building? Uh, <laughs> but like, but like, again, it, it's meaningful, yeah. you know, he's talking, he's telling Bob, like, look, you know, like Larry, like functionally Larry is an asshole, but he is honest. And I know that I can trust him because he will always be honest with me. And you were mm-hmm. not being honest. And, you know, which is, of course, a brutal critique for a 23-year-old uh, <laughs> Christian man. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's very touching. I, he, yeah, he's so good in this. And, and I mean, uh, Peter Fashionelli does a, does a great job as well with the, with the role. But, uh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, a funny movie much of the time. It's a sad movie much of the time. It's um, it's really quite good. I sure fucking wish it didn't have Kevin Spacey. Other yeah, people are I mean, also as good, good as Spacey at that isn't yes. that thing, he's not the only person who could have done it. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> yeah. there are other white men who can play assholes. I don't know if you have there. any... <laughs> <laughs> who have not sexually yeah. assaulted children. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. And, you know, and now the movie is kind of hard to find. I I, I think so, yeah, because I think it... Because I remember it being on, like, yeah, Prime I mean, and Netflix and stuff. I think a, a lot of his stuff is... So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think a lot of Someday stuff he'll is kind die. of dropped off. And then I can watch. This uh, is always my thing with some of these people. Is I'm like, once they're dead, and I don't feel like they're benefiting 
for, for a lot of these people, I don't, if I don't feel like they're benefiting mm. from this anymore, I can feel more okay with my life if I <laughs> some of their things. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on the death of Roman yeah. Polanski. And <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> these other guys. Yeah. It's interesting. I have, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Spacey hasn't really. I mean, like, I don't want him to, but it does seem like. Yet. He seems to be like the most. Uh, yeah, I don't want him to either, but he, it seems like his sort of. Uh, yeah. I don't want to say cancellation because I think that whole thing is stupid, but that has been like more effective and more thorough than just about any other case I can think of other than like. Yeah. Uh, Weinstein. Like, <laughs> I mean, even Cosby still has a lot of people who are convinced that it's all made up. Uh, but, and I, I can't help but wonder if uh, it the fact that he's gay might have yes. been a factor in that. Uh, no, yeah, it's not. Which is not a fun thought. <laughs> no, but it's, I do it's wonder. complicated and shitty, and I hope he never gets a comeback, but also it is definitely worth noting that so many of these other men have and (laughs) there's only a certain number of things that and some of them have never gotten you know called out meaningfully to begin with it just it sometimes it really seems like it is connected to a lot of factors i really don't fully understand like who survives and who doesn't like when you know i mean even like with cosby like his charges began being taken seriously and what seems like a, what see what felt like a bizarre fucking one-off like what's his face did the the thing in his comedy show and all of a sudden everyone was talking about it again but like yeah, why did it catch yeah. then why did it <laughs> right because it wasn't like it had never come up before no, it either. had definitely been a thing but i never heard about any of that shit when i was a kid about cosby so it really does seem like I mean, sometimes there's just like a wins yeah. uh, so thing, I don't know. you know where it's somehow weird. it for some reason, this is the moment that the spark yeah. catches. And and maybe the spacey thing just happened to come up at a moment where we were like we were all kind of like oversaturated Fair. with spacey because House of Cards had been going for like five years and he was everywhere and maybe people were just yeah, kind of like starting to get a little bit tired. It's of him a anyway. weird thing, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Well, so I actually think I will say before we. Dive in. I actually felt like when we were watching this, I was like, at some point, I was like, this actually is not that weird of a thing to follow up in the air with. I actually feel like there are some like tonal parallels in how like George Clooney. Pers- sure, I, I I could see I could see Clooney's character from up in the air giving yeah. his little presentation thing at this conference. <laughs> And the same thing yeah, with people no, like sort of like living their there. lives in these like <laughs> not like these liminal spaces that are you know yeah so I was just thinking about that but mm-hmm. anyway what are we watching next though well let's see 46 left yep what's number 35 35 is the searchers. Oh, great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Uh, I wasn't actually there for this discussion. Wait, were you really not? That was I was not. This is one of the ones that got more heated, as I recall. Like I actually have some specific memories from this one, which I don't from most of them. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, maybe there was one I wasn't here for. I thought it was Searchers. Anyway, regardless, um, I haven't watched the Searchers in a number of years. Uh, I think Morgan watched it earlier this year, or late last year. It's been uh, quite a while for me as well. Um, but I, I do. I fucking love the Searchers. That's a great movie. I I did love it a lot when I saw it. I don't know how it'll hold up for me, but. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we've watched any other John Wayne's, have we? I think this was the only one we had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so can talk about John Wayne. Yeah. Lots to, lots to talk about. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> been, there's been a fair amount of John Wayne discourse on Twitter and stuff over the last six months or so. Uh, yeah. But an asshole man who is dead. So I don't yeah. care as much if I yeah. watch it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, let's get into what we've been watching. Okay. You want to go first? I got to pull up my – I didn't have my thing pulled up. Not prepared, Joel. Not prepared. I know. Never. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, at the end of October, Morgan and I were still sort of watching through this uh, collection that I think I talked about last time that was all movies that had been talked about in Arthur Dong's uh, Chinese and Hollywood Mm -hmm. documentary. We still haven't gotten through them nor gotten to the documentary, but we watched several in a row. I mean, didn't you Uh, say there were like 35 of them or something? Are you still expecting to get through all of them? 25, I think, but I still plan to, yeah. I'm still – I mean, I had already watched five or six of them, so I think it was – I think it was okay. less than 20. But huh. anyway, so we watched um, we watched Daughter of the Dragon from 1931, which star uh, – there were several here that starred Anna Mae Wong, who apparently was sort of like the first mm-hmm. ever Chinese movie star. And I don't think I've seen her in very much, but she's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, is it racist? Yeah, I mean definitely in many parts. Um, but it is still like – you know, because it, it all goes under, like, you know, she falls sort of under her 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 Chinese father's thrall, and he's the the evil Chinese man who's played by a Norwegian man. Anyway, um... <laughs> Sounds about right, yeah. The, the story itself is pretty enjoyable. Um, I actually, I was really, I was really uh, rooting for Anime Wong. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, all of that, it's it's funny, it's it's clever. It was, I mean, like, it was a good movie, but also, also racist. Um, it was cool. One of the things that Arthur Dong had pointed out, they have, like, clips of his, what he said in the... Um, in the criterion uh, description was that it was, it was before Hollywood moved to making every Asian character speak in like broken, like Chinese, like broken Asian English. English thing. Yeah. Yes. So she, you know, speaks in like, you know, the same type of like Atlantic, mid Atlantic accent as everyone else. Right. Um, Yeah. It was more enjoyable than I was expecting for sure. Um, so we watched that, and then we watched uh, Charlie Chan in Honolulu. Yeah, classic. Which uh, apparently Charlie Chan, there apparently there were like there were like thirty something Charlie Chan. Movies. Yeah, I know Jared and I watched one of them. I I don't know. I mean, it was I don't know which one it was, or if it was like the original one or what it was. But there were multiple people who played Charlie Chan over the years. It was a big, yes, it was a major two or three. Yeah. 
All of them white. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was a Chinese person who played Charlie Chan until like, I think it was like within the last like half a dozen years, there was a new one. I can't remember the details. Uh, I don't think it was an American movie, but anyway. There were some funny lines in the movie. Um, and the first part of the movie was just his like oldest son and one of his younger sons who were played by actual Asian actors um started running around having hijinks and i really enjoyed that but then he would come onto the screen and it was just so racist um and i didn't enjoy that so yeah um and then we watched the king of chinatown uh in which we again had sydney toller who was playing Charlie Chan in the last one, uh, playing a Chinese man, which is gross. But Anna Mae Wong was a, was a doctor, a surgeon. Um, and she was pretty great. It was just kind of, it was 1939 crime story. Um, and it was, it was enjoyable overall. I, I had a good time with it. Um, so overall this has been better than I expected, but then we watched the cat's paw and we haven't been back to this project since. So I think we needed a moment. Um, that one is a Harold Lloyd movie. Uh, mm. It's a little different in tone, which, probably. A little different tone. Um, he plays, uh, let's see, the description is, Naive Ezekiel Cobb, brought up by his missionary father in China, returns to America to seek a wife. Uh, corrupt politicians enlist him to run for mayor as a dummy candidate with no chance of winning. Their plan backfires as he wins and embarks upon a reform crusade. Um, Arthur Dong said in the description thing that this was probably one of the worst examples of <laughs> Japanese and Hollywood. Oh, there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, Chinese that is not actually Chinese and right. it's just people making sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it was gross. It was very gross. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend that. I don't think I've ever seen Harold Lloyd do a talkie. I think I've only ever seen his silence. Yeah, I know. I don't think I had either. I didn't even realize he did talk. I mean, I guess it's not oh, that surprising because okay. it wasn't like he was old in in his silence. Yeah, some of them didn't make the make the jump. I guess. Yeah. Um, and then Morgan and I went to go see Tar in theaters. I see you saw it too. I did. Yeah, I went to see that last weekend. Looks like you didn't like it quite as much as me, but you did like That's it. That's possible. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it goes without saying, obviously, Kate Blanchett is incredible in it. I, I, the odds that this doesn't end up being like the defining role of her career is, I mean. It's unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's the best performance I've ever seen from her by far. And that is a high fucking bar. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely one of those movies that I like, you know, I, I, I appreciated everything about it. And I came out of it thinking like. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to let that one sit a while. Mm. Um, probably have to watch it again at some point. Uh, but it is. It is a hell of a movie. Yeah, I was. I was absolutely blown away. It's. It's definitely a contention for my top ten of the year. I mm. thought it was just incredible. Kate Blanchett. I saw someone. One of my friends on Twitter had posted that like her performance is so specific and so like weird in many spaces that it almost feels impossible to believe that she's not playing a real character, like a real person, <laughs> but like, it's not a biopic. It's just not a, uh, but like, that's what it feels like. It feels like, like, it feels like she's 
playing a, you know, is, is recreating someone, not something from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, oh, fuck, I loved it so much. Uh, <laughs> and then Eric and I uh, jumped back onto our Ebert list. Uh, and the next movie was Wings of Desire, which I have seen before and didn't much care for then. I'm not really. I still haven't seen that one. Wim Vanders is mostly a, a... I've I've almost entirely missed Wim Vanders in my my film education. I have seen several Vim Vendors things and I uh, have not cared for any of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this one is, I mean, there is no doubt that although I find the movie overall to feel much too long and not as compelling as I wish it was to me, um, it's very beautiful. It looks gorgeous. There's some incredible shots. Uh, but yeah, no, still, still not my thing. Uh, and then we watched Catherine called Birdie because I'd been oh, seeing some good stuff. One of the uh, one of what's her name's new movies, Lena Dunham. Yeah, Lena Dunham. How was that? It's very cute. Yeah, it's I've, very I've cute. heard good things it's about fun, that one. Cute movie. Her other new one, and is you a you bit can certainly understand. <laughs> what was her other movie? I think it's called Sharp Stick. Uh, oh it, yeah, I haven't watched that one. It played festivals and stuff. I don't know if it's actually streaming anywhere yet. But um, this one, you can definitely see why this subject matter appealed to her. If you're like familiar with Lena Dunham as a person, um, but it's it's very cute. It's hmm. it's fun to watch. Um, and then we watched. I found out that Eric had never seen The Princess Diaries, so I made him watch The Princess Diaries, uh, which is still overall fun. And Julie Andrews is obviously great, and uh, you know. Um, I think that was it? Eric said something like he's pretty sure that uh, young Anne Hathaway's smile could power an entire building. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a silly movie, but it's it's fun. Um, and then then Saturday night, Morgan and I went to an event in town. It was like a queer uh, community building event uh, over at Mount Baker. Um, where there was a bunch of activity and stuff, but then we all watched this documentary called Ahead of the Curve, uh, which I had not heard of, um, but it is upstreaming on Hulu and possibly also Amazon, if people are interested. Um, really a, a piece of sort of queer history that I, I didn't know about, this magazine called Curve that is the longest-running lesbian magazine uh, that started in, like, the late 60s or 70s, 60s or 70s. Um and, you know, it's a talking head uh, documentary for sure, but the talking heads are all pretty, pretty compelling and interesting and a lot of like video and photos and stuff of this like early queer uh, movement. And it was cool. We had a really good time. It was really cool to watch it in this room full of like a bunch of queer folks of all ages. And um, yeah, it was it was cool. Cool. I'm not familiar um, with that one. And then, yeah, no, I hadn't heard of it, but like I said, it is available. If people would like to watch it. And then me and Eric and Morgan went to go see Ticket to Paradise. <laughs> I want to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought about going to see that one. I, I didn't, but. It's cute. Yeah. It's, um. I mean, it's I, really... I, just, I assume it's exactly what it looks like, right? Like. Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, it feels so much like a throwback rom-com. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a little less racist than I think it would have been if it had been made in the nineties. Um, but so much of it really does have that vibe of like the era in which I grew up most watching rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was very fun. You know, watching George Clooney and Julia Roberts do anything together is a plus in my book. So (laughs) it's it's a good time. I don't know if it's like worth going to theaters with everything that's like sort of, you know, rapidly coming at us. Uh, But when it's streaming, it's totally worth watching. Okay. Um, And then I watched a movie that I had to watch for the class I'm teaching. It's a documentary called Paper Tigers. That is um, about the alternative school in Walla Walla, Washington, uh, which is where our mother grew up. Mm hmm. Uh, I know you know that. I was just saying that for our tens of fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and basically, they decided in like the early 2010s, they like the school, you know, as is true with many alternative schools, um, was having just like a tremendous amount of trouble with violence and, you know, various things of that nature. And so they they got really into ACEs. I don't know if you're familiar with ACEs. Uh, it's a childhood a big thing in uh, public health and social work and that sort of thing. There are 10 of them. Uh, and basically they have done these, mm. there's 10, uh, the, the, you know, that basically what happened is that they, they started, they did this study initially with, and honestly the movie doesn't do that great of a job explaining where ACEs came from, but the, it is actually an extraordinarily evidence-based thing. They did this study initially with, I think the first study was like 25,000, people who were on a specific insurance plan. So it was all like middle-class people and stuff who had insurance plans. And they came up with like 10, like 10 adverse childhood experiences. And they just put out questionnaires. How many of these have you experienced? And they they include things like someone in your home had, you know, struggle, you know, one of your caregivers had mental illness struggles when you were growing up. You, you, uh, your parents divorced, one of your caregivers was in jail for a significant period of time. You saw your mother being physically harmed uh, by your father. You were physically harmed or sexually abused, that sort of thing. That's sort of like broad mm-hmm. stroke things. Anyway, what they found was one of the aces were incredibly common that, that almost like even in like, you know, what uh, like sort of middle to higher class uh, families where sort of the prevailing wisdom was that some of this stuff happened less, that almost everyone had at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they also found was that the more aces that you had as a child, especially if you were not, if there were not, you know, uh, sort of resilience factors and other things to balance that out, they found that it had an incredible impact on the rest of your life. Um, that if these things were not sort of dealt with, but like, you know, that the people who had five or more aces lived an average of 20 years less Hmm. Um, health problems, heart problems, blood pressure, uh, higher rates of things like diabetes and such, uh, oh, you know, much higher rates of mental health struggles, all sorts of things that had a significant impact on your health all through your life. And, and basically they did this study and, um, and multiple studies afterwards. And it essentially comes down to what's known as like toxic stress. Um, and that essentially, when you are when you are young, um, that like our brains in general are like keyed to to light up at danger, right? So like if you're 
afraid, you know, if you're something attacks you, then your brain like pumps adrenaline and cortisol into your brain to make it so that you can fight back, you can run away, you can whatever. But then once the danger is passed, it's supposed to go back to like an even level, right? Um, but if you are consistently in a situation where you always have to worry about something happening, whether that's physical harm or sexual harm or emotional harm, then your brain is just constantly on the alert and you tend to have an overdose of cortisol, um, that makes it really hard for you to ever like find baseline. Um, and it can actually, it can burn out some of your sensors and stuff. And again, all of this, the vast majority of this is, treatable or resolvable or at least help like you know you can at least help mitigate a lot of these things but you need assistance to do that for the most part um so these kids who are all coming from pretty intense backgrounds basically they start out by talking to the kids about you know what aces are what does this mean what does this do to your brain we're gonna and they they moved really far away from any kind of like like punishment they stopped doing like out of school suspensions and started doing only like in school suspensions where they were specifically working through like how to cope with their emotional well-being and that sort of stuff and so they, they did this over the course of a few years and um you know all of their numbers went way up their grades went way up their graduation rates went way up their number of kids going to college went way up like it really like functionally changed um the entire like setup of the school and part of it being that one of the one of the one of the things that we know is the the greatest what we call protective factor and makes the biggest difference in aces and that sort of thing is for kids to have at least one meaningful relationship with an adult any adult in their lives where they feel genuinely cared for and valued. Um, and so, so, I mean, it's cool. It's a cool story. It, it made, it made a big difference. The documentary is fine. Like <laughs> it feels a little like a high class student project. <laughs> It might have been. I don't know. Uh, but it is an interesting story that, I mean, I think there are always some ethical questions about having, like, kids who are struggling with a lot be in a documentary. Are they still going to want to be the face of this in 20 years? You know. Um, but uh, it is – if it's a thing that interests you, it's up on Amazon. It's it's a it's an interesting story for sure. Um, and then on Friday, Eric and I watched uh, went the film school rejects list. The next one was Oslo, August thirty first, uh, which I had seen once, and I know I think you really liked that movie. Yes, I don't think I saw that one. That was the first of 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 what's her name's. Uh, oh, I could have I could have sworn that you had. Is that the the person who did the worst person in the world? Isn't it that director? Uh, no, I don't think so. Joachim Trier. Oh, maybe I'm mixing it up with something else then. Yeah, I thought you had seen it. Um, anyway, I thought you were the one who told me that I should watch it initially. But No, I haven't seen it. Well, anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, Joachim Trier is the one who did The Worst Person in the World. Yes, yeah. you are. He, did, he okay. did these three movies set in Oslo as like an, a thematic trilogy thing in the that this is one of them but interesting I well i also wasn't a huge fan of the worst person in the world so i i like it fine it's clearly a very skillful movie i am not i do not tend to be a big fan of movies that's that specifically focus on on drug addicts it's just not mm. it's just not my my topic i don't know it's just not my thing but it's it's certainly a very well-made film um and then we watched bonnie and clyde which is next on ebert's list um still a very good movie 
<laughs> yeah, I, I watched that again a few years ago. It's quite good. Uh, and then we went to go see Black Panther Reconda Forever. How was that? I've been hearing very mixed things. I really liked it. Okay. I thought it was – I was so fascinated. I saw that David Chen had said that he, that he thought the movie felt mostly like Marvel connective tissue, which I felt the exact opposite. I felt like it felt really specifically like its own thing and like it had the least of connective tissue stuff or that felt like connective tissue to me of any of the ones that I had seen recently. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed it a lot. I had a really good time. Cried. It was – yeah. Um, I recommend it. <laughs> Okay. And then last night we went to go see Armageddon Time, which was not very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just a, a real 101 view of a lot of uh, of racist race issues. Felt like there was some more interesting stuff they could have done, but they just didn't. Really felt like Anthony Hopkins was just phoning the fuck in his performance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was for sure not one of his better ones. I walked out of it being like, but like, what was I supposed to think about these things? Any of these things? I, I don't know for what the movie gave me. And I'm not saying you need to spoon feed it to me, but you need to give me a little bit more information than you did. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, unfortunately not my thing. Uh, TV wise finished interview of the vampire last night, the first season. Shit. It's so good. It's so good. I'm just, Fucking in love. Um, so excited to see the Mayfair Witches uh, starting in January. And um, the only other thing, I mean, we finished the new season of Love is Blind, which I think uh, is not their best season for several reasons, but it was okay. I lost the bet, sadly. So now I have to plan a date for Morgan. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, Star of the White Lotus. Have you been watching season two I, of the yeah, White Lotus? I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I've, I have been watching it, yeah. How are you feeling about it so far? Uh, I'm enjoying it. I don't know that I'm as into it as, as the first season, but, um, you know, it has it has some people in it that I really like. and Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful setting, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm curious to see. I feel like this one, they're... they're because the, the, both seasons so far have started with like at the end of the week and there's a a dead person or in this case right. dead people but you don't know who and then it jumps back to the start of the week and i feel like the this, i i might be remembering this wrong but i my memory is that the first season didn't really like hang that much on like oh who's the dead person going to turn out to be uh but i feel like this season is doing a lot more of like dropping <laughs> Oh, don't forget, there's there's going to be a dead person at the end of this. Wonder who it could be kind of things. Um, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. Um, the biggest problem with it is that it doesn't have Armand. I mean, the thing that really made the first season exceptional was the character of Armand, who is one of the best characters yeah. that I've seen in TV in recent years. Uh, and just like a very unique, I didn't really think I'd ever seen anything quite a character quite like him. Uh, and this, this season doesn't have anything like that. 
Yeah. So. I mean, there's definitely some interesting stuff. I've been enjoying it for sure. Um, but I agree, at least so far, it hasn't felt quite as compelling to me as the first season. I don't know if the first season, I mean, you know, my understanding is that the, the intention, like, they, he didn't plan to have a second season. Right. It's and that, 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 that made me nervous made when I heard, when I, yeah, because it was supposed to be a one off. I mean, it was a COVID right. show that he, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but it was a big hit, so they they got him to do another one, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it it also doesn't, you know. I also like the one the one recurring character is um, what's her name? Uh, the oh uh, Anya, yeah. uh, uh, yes. What's that? Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge, right? Uh, who I I think they're kind of like. I think they're leaning too hard into her character in the second season as like the sort of weird, goofy. I agree. I don't feel like as much as her like weird quirks and stuff were obviously a thing in season one. It She still had like a storyline that ended up feeling like, like pretty emotionally heavy in some ways, I think. Um, and this time it feels like she's at least so far, it feels like she's kind of the butt of the joke in ways that I didn't feel like she was in the first season. I don't know. I, I I'm not thrilled with how they're handling her either. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I like, I kind of wish that they had just hadn't brought her character back, especially since it is the only connecting thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, they brought her back cause she was like a favorite in the first season, I guess. But I I kind of feel like it maybe would have been better not to. Um, yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I'm I'm definitely gonna keep watching. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm not like hating watching it. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah. 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 It has Haley Lou Richardson, who is uh, one of my favorites, and she doesn't show up in enough stuff, so I'm, I'm always happy to see her. Which one is she? She's she's Tanya's assistant. Oh, okay. Uh, but she's—I don't know if I've seen her. Oh, she's been in a few. Th- she was in that movie uh, Columbus. Um, uh, what's his name's movie? Yeah, I didn't uh, actually ever get around to watching. I fucking loved that movie. Um, and then, uh, did you see um, what was that movie about? The uh, it was about like a Hooters type place. Uh, oh yeah. Um, fuck. Uh, God damn it! It was one of my top ones of the year. It was uh, also it was really good. I can't remember the name of it either, but she was in that one. Uh, and she was in um, the Edge of Seventeen. Was that what it was called? Oh yeah, I, I, I didn't was, care. She was that. like the best friend. I think I can't remember. I saw it in the theater. It's been a while, but she's she's really good. She, and she's been kind of she had. It seemed like she had a moment where support she was, the girls. Support the Support girls, the yeah, girls. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really good movie. Yeah. Um, but it's it seemed like for a little bit she was kind of like an up and comer. She was going to be the next big thing, and then I I haven't seen her in anything for a few years. But she's really good. So yeah, I'm happy to see her in this. Yeah, cool. Well, why don't you go ahead with your stuff? We can bridge that way. Okay, so uh, I I'm looking. Wow, I actually have. Just by coincidence, really, I have almost all horror stuff on my movies <laughs> that I've watched. Um, so, uh, May and I were watching witch movies for Halloween, as uh-huh. we talked about. And so, on Halloween night, we watched Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, uh, which, as it turns out, does not have a witch. Does not have a witch. Uh, I, <laughs> I had never sure. seen it before. And it, but it's one of those, like, it's the Halloween movie that everyone, for a long time, kind of disregarded because it's the one without Michael Myers. 
but it has in recent years it has sort of I think made a comeback. Uh, there's a lot of people who really like it. Um, so I and I've so I've been curious about it for a while, and I I have not seen Halloween two yet. I have not got around to watching it, but I know I knew that Halloween three was unconnected, so I figured it was probably safe to watch it. That's true. Um, and you know, you know, if I figured title wise, at least it fit. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting movie. Um, I agree. I, I think that 1982 is kind of hilariously late in the game to still be racist against the Irish, but uh, true. But there's there's some interesting things going on in that movie. Uh, I'm not totally sure how well it hit its targets. Um, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it's aiming at interesting things. Uh, like, it did make me wish that we had gotten to live in the reality where they just made a Halloween movie. Oh, absolutely. With, as, like, an anthology a, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's, that seemed like a really promising concept that they didn't end up doing. Because this movie failed, if I yeah. <laughs> is my understanding, Correct. but uh, but no, it's it's an interesting movie. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, mm -hmm. So let's see. Um, I've watched. So one of the things that I really like about Mubi, my favorite subscription service, is that every October mm -hmm. they do a bunch of like kind of obscure horror stuff that I've never heard of and have never seen anywhere else. And this year they did a trilogy of vampire movies by Japanese director Michio Yamamoto. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've watched the first two of those so far. I haven't watched the third one yet, but I definitely intend to because I really liked both of the first two. The first one was called The Vampire Doll from 1970, and the second one was called Lake of Dracula from 1971. Okay, um, yeah. they're, they're not actually – it's it's a – it's a, it's not a like a – trilogy trilogy it's a thematic trilogy they're not connected to each other um but they're they're all just about vampires um <clears throat> and they're they're both of the first two were like surprisingly creepy and really well done uh i was kind of, i was a little bit worried about because you know you never know with like obscure 70s movies whether they're Japanese or American, you you sometimes just end up with some like weird trashy exploitation stuff, mm. um, and I was a little bit worried that they were going to end up being that, uh, but they really aren't at all. The first one is like a pretty, uh, it's kind of just like a classic gothic horror kind of thing, um, with like some really creepy, effective visuals for the vampire, um, and an, mm. and sort of an interesting. It's not like a classic, you know, resurrected corpse who drinks blood out of the necks of of victims it's a it's kind of an, a different take on the concept of the vampire um right that i thought was really cool i was really into it i really like the second one too i haven't watched the third one yet uh but i definitely intend to this the second one lake of dracula was a little bit more of a classic vampire uh as you might guess from the fact that it invokes dracula in the name um <laughs> but yeah they're both both of the first two are really good uh highly recommend um Cool. And let's see. And then I, I went to see uh, the Banshees of Inishirin, the uh, new Martin McDonough movie. Who uh -huh. um, I really love in Bruges, his his first movie, mm -hmm. and I also really like Seven Psychopaths. I really did not care for Three Billboards. Uh, I thought that movie was kind of a mess. And so I was kind of nervous about his his new his new project. 
Sure. Um, but it's it was really good. It is the saddest movie I've seen in a long time. Oh no! Which I was okay. not expecting because I feel like it is being advertised, and from what I've heard, I feel like it's been mostly talked about as like a dark comedy. And it's basically that for like the first half, uh, but then it gets it gets real fucking sad. Um, oh, okay. Well, good to know. Thanks. See you today. <laughs> no, okay, like. Jared and May and I went to see it. May basically cried through the last like twenty minutes of the movie, like just <laughs> constantly, okay, like okay. like nonstop weeping the whole time for the last like twenty minutes. Um, it's it is a movie that made me wish that I knew a lot more than I know about the Irish Civil War because it's kind of set in the middle of that, and I'm I'm reasonably sure that the whole thing is kind of a I don't know that I would say that it's an allegory about the Irish Civil War, but I think it's kind of connected somehow. I, yeah, uh, like I think if you, if at any rate, it's uh, it made me want to know more about that, which is something that I always appreciate in movies, uh, and I do expect okay. there are probably some layers going on that I didn't get because I know next to nothing about the Irish Civil War. Um, sure, but. It was very good. Um, both of the leads, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, obviously both fantastic. Uh, really incredible locations. I don't know if Inishirin is an actual island or if it's... I mean, I, I assume they shot it on some island off the coast of Ireland, uh, whether it was actually Inishirin or not. But it just it all looks mm -hmm. incredible. Um, my dog is whining. You can probably hear her in the background. She's getting fed up with me yeah. ignoring her. Um, so yeah, the, definitely check that one out. It's going to be it's going to be around for the next couple of months because it's going to be one of the big awards. See it tonight. Um, Being that in triangle of sadness. So right. sounds like a cheerful evening for me. Yeah. Um, and then just this morning, I watched uh, the old dark house, which is the 1932 James Whale uh, horror movie. Yeah, that was a fun movie. He made between the two Frankenstein movies. And yeah, it was really good. I really liked it. Uh, I saw your, your review. It made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, about it being like family Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a very like, you know, group of people get washed up at this crumbling mansion because of a bad rainstorm and have to take shelter. And there's like this crazy multiple generations of this insane family living there. And uh it's really good. It's really entertaining, and it's only like seventy-two minutes long. So, yeah, it's kind of yeah, a shame that, that I think this one, this one is not remembered as well as most of the the sort of universal horror stuff from the '30s. Obviously, it doesn't have like the, um, you know, there isn't like a Dracula or a Frankenstein's monster character to sort sure. of pin the the image of the movie on. But uh, I think it was. So I certainly liked it a lot better than I liked Dracula after rewatching that last year. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, that was another one that uh, that I saw in movie. They they had that one featured. Um, nice. Yeah, I saw it on Criterion when they had it. Yeah, there. okay. Uh, so that's all I have for movies. Um, I have been watching uh, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned that last time. Maybe, uh, maybe I, Eric. No, I, I hadn't started last time. time. I, might, I might have come up, but I hadn't watched any of it yet. Um I believe there are eight episodes. I've watched the first four. Uh, so they're all, it's like an anthology series. Each episode is directed by a different person. Um, mm -hmm. So the first, like the first one, 
uh, was directed by Guillermo Navarro, who is, um, I don't know that he's directed before, but he has been Guillermo del Toro's cinematographer for a long time. Uh, like since the beginning, I think he was a cinematographer for Kronos. Um, Nice. And it was it was good. Uh, I mean, all four episodes so far have been really good. I think my favorite probably so far has been the the third one, which is the autopsy, uh, which had F. Murray Abraham, who is also in the new season of uh, uh, White Lotus. Um, but he's he's really good and he's great in this episode. It's super creepy. Um, directed by a guy named David Pryor, who did. He did a horror movie last year or the year before called The Empty Man that I heard was really, really cool. And it was on HBO for a long time, and I meant to watch it. And I never got around to it. I think it's gone now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was it was really good. Really good episode. I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of them. And I really hope that they do another season of it because it's I'm really into this kind of – the concept of this kind of thing. I really like it. Yeah. Um, let's see. White Lotus we talked about. Uh, so I think – the only other thing, really, that we have to talk about is Andor. Um, sure. Which you still are not watching Andor? I, I only watch things in order, and if I'm going to watch Andor, then I also feel like I have to watch the other three shows I've missed, and I haven't had time. Oh, you don't have to do that Norm. shit. You, <laughs> I mean, I, like, I get, I get what you're talking about, but you don't. You definitely do not have to do that in this case. I, I mean, so okay, so. <sighs> When, way back in whatever it was, 2018 or 2016 or whatever it was, when Disney announced that they had taken over LucasArts and that they were doing more Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. it was my immediate, like, okay, they're doing another trilogy that's like a sequel to these ones, but the original plan, I don't know if you remember, they were going to put out a Star Wars movie every year, and it was going to be, they were going to do uh, a sequel to the originals, and then they were going to do something different on the off year and then another sequel right. and then another one off. And that was, that was what they did initially, except that the, and, but initially it was like, okay, that's, they could keep doing sequels. That's fine. But like, I want to see them do different stuff within the star Wars universe, like make some stuff about different characters. You literally, you literally right, have an entire right. universe with thousands of years of history. You can make stories at any point in any of that. All kinds of different <laughs> stories, different genres. You can do it's it's a limitless possibilities. You can do all kinds of things, and then instead they made the Han Solo movie, um, and and also Rogue One, which I liked. Okay, I'm not as as in love with it as some people, but it was obviously a direct, directly connected to uh, to the original Star Wars. Uh, sure. And then and then they 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 announced that they were doing the Mandalorian. I was like, well, great, that's exactly the kind of thing. Like, I want to see just a completely separate story about this guy who's a bounty hunter, so he's going to be, like, traveling all over. We're going to see all kinds of different stuff. It's going to be great. And I like The Mandalorian, but almost all of it takes place on the fucking desert planets, and then at the end they brought fucking <laughs> Luke Skywalker into it. So, like, now we're we're just tied back into everything else, and it's gotten much less interesting, in my opinion. So... Andor is finally the thing that I've been hoping they would do. <laughs> I mean, the, the character of Andor was in Rogue One. He was introduced in Rogue One. Uh, but this is this is set before that. And most importantly, it is created and m- written by Tony Gilroy, who was the, uh, the writer-director of Michael Clayton, which is a fantastic movie. 
um, and is, um, I think, a much more interesting writer-director than anyone else that they've had working on any of this stuff. Uh, and it's it really does seem like they just kind of gave him free reign to do whatever he wants. Um, so the show has a really interesting structure where it's like, it's 12 episodes, but it's like four three-episode arcs. Mm -hmm. Uh, which gives it a lot of, you get like, basically like, it's basically like four movies, um, about this character in different, in different settings. Uh, but the, the thing that it's doing that it, it has added a level of like, like street level realism to star Wars and specifically to the rebellion that never existed anywhere in the, in previous star Wars outings, at least none of the stuff that I've seen. I, I've, I haven't watched all the like animated shows and stuff. I haven't read any of the comics sure. or any of that kind of stuff, but like, so one thing that really stands out to me is in the original movies from the very beginning, the rebellion is referred to as the rebel Alliance. Uh, right. And I had never really thought about the implications of that, of that specific term. But of course the implications are that at some point previously, there must have been a bunch of different rebel factions that all had to come together into this alliance to actually defeat the empire. Right. So this movie is set during that phase when there's there the 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 rebellion is this scattered thing on all these different planets and they all have different motivations and different political interests and there are like a few people who are starting to do the work of trying to bring them together to actually do what has to be done and it's so fascinating and it's so well done like it has um Stellan Skarsgård is like he's he's kind of the guy that the show follows who is like the one trying to bring the groups together and he's so good um it had the character of Mon Mothma who was a, a minor character in the original movies and also appeared very briefly I guess in Rogue One although I don't even remember that but she's a, a senator and so she, and she's kind of like helping him you know behind the scenes obviously in secret uh, and she's a great character. Um, it, it, I, I, I honestly like, I can't say enough good things about it. It's so good. It's, it is by far, by far my favorite thing on TV right now. And if it continues to be as good as it currently is through the rest of the season, and I think they're going to do two seasons of it, uh, it may end up being my favorite Star Wars thing. Um, which, you know, as someone who the the original trilogy Star Wars movies are like one of the most important bits of media in my life uh, is saying a lot. And especially considering that I had essentially come to the point where I was like, uh, you know, Star Wars was I figured I would probably keep watching Star Wars, but I wasn't particularly excited about any of it anymore. It's like, you know, the Mandalorian's fun. The Obi-Wan Kenobi show is OK. Uh, the fucking Boba Fett show was terrible, but you know, it's probably going to be a mix of like bad things and things that are okay. <laughs> I, I kind of given up hope on getting something really great out of the star Wars universe again, at, at any point. And maybe this will end up being the last one that is that, but it's so fucking good. Um, yeah. Okay, but like, what if I watch Andor, which is like twelve fucking episodes or something, and you watch Interview with the Vampire, which is only seven? I mean, I, 
I'm not not interested in an interview with a vampire. I just don't know that I'll have the time for it. I guess I might at some point. I don't know. But also, I know that I know that I don't need to do that because you have this weird thing where you feel the need to keep up with things in in the okay, culture. But that's the thing. <laughs> I guess that's you haven't. You haven't like been doing you're not Star wrong. Wars. Yeah. But the thing is that I have stopped keeping up with Star Wars. Yeah. I have not watched any of the last three shows. Yeah. And if I decide to pick it up again, then I am picking it up again. And I haven't decided if I am able to do that because yes, at this point, I hear Andor is good. Eric has some issues with the pacing. He feels like he never understands when the episode is going to end, um, or why they chose to end where they. So it does have a it does have a little bit of that. Most of the episodes don't really feel like they have an ending. They just kind of end. I think part of that, though, is is like I said, it is kind of structured as like a series of movies. So yeah, you end the the arc is across three episodes rather than across each episode. Um, so that is that's that doesn't bother me, but I could I could see that being an issue for some people. Um, uh, but, so this, but yeah, and Andor has has done something a few times now that no other Star Wars thing has ever made me do, in spite of the fact that Star Wars was, like, one of my favorite things in the world for a very long time, which is that it has made me cry <laughs> a, a few different times. Uh, uh, the only other time that anything Star Wars-related had ever gotten me that way was, like, some of the music, you know, like when I... The, the, the specific music cues will hit me in that way. But certainly yeah, I remember never, you crying at the music for, yeah, for one of the trailers. Yeah, but certainly never like something that a character in a Star Wars movie said moved me to tears. That had never happened before. <laughs> but it has a, a couple times in this one. It's so good. It's so good. I know. I just really want you to watch Vampire. Yeah, I know you do. Uh, <laughs> How come I, you never watch anything I want you to watch? That's not true. But I I just don't I I do not have the kind of time to watch things that you have. I'm kind of amazed at how much time you get in and you, and it, that is in large part because your partners are people who want to sit around and watch stuff with you all day and that's not the case with mine. So, I don't end up having the kind of time to just watch stuff all the time. It's only constantly. seven episodes. It's like six hours total. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also don't have... It's it's AMC, right? It is, but you could log into mine. Yeah, well, we, we, we've been around in circles about that one, but at some point, it'll show up on on Hulu, probably, right? Or Netflix? Yeah, probably. One of the other usually gets Where, AMC. Whoever it is that takes the AMC thing. I, guess it's, I think it's Netflix, because at least Better Call Saul has been on Netflix. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so for everyone else who is not my brother, please go watch Interview with the Vampire. It's so good. And I have just been enjoying the shit out of it. So, okay. I think that's it. Well, I think I think I, I think that's it. I got my I got my say out. I, you know, I'll keep mentioning Andor for a few more weeks. I think we've got three or four episodes left, but. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And next week and next time we can hear what I thought about the Banshees sad movie right uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right and we will talk about john wayne and the searchers so yeah that'll be interesting i might have to just go ahead and order that movie because i don't have it and it is one that i would like mm. to own i might have to buy it i don't know if it's available That's anywhere for reason yeah I'm sure surely it's available somewhere <laughs> well i don't know if it's available streaming for free anywhere i guess is what i mean oh um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't look like it is, but it's rentable. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> well, see you then, we'll everybody. We'll talk in a couple weeks then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.